Well, good morning. It's good to see you once again, and I want to encourage you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 138. Not Romans, but as Rick Benefield likes to say, we have some good scripture this morning. Amen. It's good. Psalm 138 be our passage this morning. Looking forward to our time in the Word this morning. Next week, we're going to begin our Advent series. We're going to be doing four sermons through the first chapter of John's Gospel. Looking forward to our time in that series beginning next week. But this morning, we turn our attention now to Psalm 138. To begin reading in verse 1. These are the words of David inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this psalm, and we ask now that by the presence of your Holy Spirit that you would enable us to understand the depths of it, that our lives may be strengthened by it, and that you would be praised. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. It was John Calvin that said, that the Psalms provide us an expression for every part of experience in the Christian life. That if we're looking for the words that we need to express, whatever it is we're going through in the Christian life, we can find those words in the Psalms. Well, we certainly can find a range of emotion, a range of expression in the Psalms. And we come to one particular Psalm this morning written by David. And David was a man that, he wrote many, not all of the Psalms, but he wrote many of them. And as you read the, the range of David's expressions and emotion and the content that he wrote throughout the many Psalms that he did, you find a man that was able to express the full range of human emotion. Psalms that are radiating with joy and happiness and delight and worship and praise and psalms where David had found himself at the very bottom in the pits. And yet, through it all, the Holy Spirit enabling him to 
express these inspired words. One of the things that, that, that's obvious when you read the Psalms, whether it's Psalm 138 or you go to another Psalm, you go to Psalm 23 or another of David's Psalms where he's rejoicing and thankful, wherever you find David in the Psalms, this is one thing you will find. David was a man that was all in. David wasn't a perfect man. We know that. David had his faults and his struggles and his sin. But we know that the Bible talks about how David was a man after God's own heart. And when you begin to read the Psalms, you you see that. You see that David was a man that was all in for the Lord. We come to Psalm 138. What we see here is, is a glimpse of a man that was all in. We, we see a snapshot here of a man who, who understood the glory of God and who understood who it was that was the source of his life and strength and hope. And as a result, you see David able to express his gratitude and his praise to God. Particularly at a time where he was going through quite a bit of trouble and grief. So I want us to consider this psalm this morning and I want us to think about the things that David wrote inspired by the Holy Spirit. This psalm is easily divided into three sections which naturally gives us three points. That was inspired as well. But what we see in these words, what we see in this man, a man after God's own heart, are characteristics of a man who was all in, or we could say characteristics of a man who had a healthy heart. And when we look at this psalm, really, I think a good question for me to ask, for you to ask, when we read Psalm 138 is, does my heart look like that? Am I able to say and mean the things that David said to the Lord? Do I believe these things? Are these things, are these the very things that, that are the foundation of my own life? Are these the very things that support me and strengthen me? Am I able to say with confidence, 100% confidence, the very same things that David said? Does my heart look like this? So let's look at this together. Let's look at the say three characteristics of a healthy heart or three characteristics of a man that was all in, dominated by here, by, here by thanksgiving. And I want us to walk through this together. The very first thing that we see in David's psalm and David's life is this, this was a man, this was a heart that overflows with thanksgiving, with gratitude. David had a heart that was overflowing with gratitude. Verses 1 through 3, we see David begins the psalm. He says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. We're not sure exactly if David is speaking out of a specific experience, although verse 3 seems to indicate that he had a specific experience in mind. Some think that that this psalm is kind of a, a response, perhaps out of a recent experience, but really David's writing out of his whole experience, 
We're not sure exactly and don't know the exact circumstances behind the psalm. There's been some good, good speculation and maybe some right guesses. But what we do know is that he was a man overflowing with thankfulness. Let's look at this, this thankfulness a little bit more. I want us to first of all see the reasons for his gratitude. Why was he so thankful? I wonder, by the way, if people can say that about us. Why is it that Adam is just so thankful all of the time? I don't think people say that about me. But I wonder if people could say that about each of us. It's a good, good, good characteristic to have. Several reasons here that explain why David was so thankful. First of all, he was basing his gratitude in the character of God. We see that very truth right here in verse 2. He says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing you praise, your, your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. You see, David's gratitude, David's praise was compelled by his understanding and embrace of the truth of the fact that God was a faithful God who loved him. His steadfast love and his faithfulness. You see, what David is talking about here is is something more than just, just love probably as you think about it in your own mind. He is referring to something much greater David is going back and he's, he's embracing here the covenant faithfulness of God. You see, God had made a promise to David and he has upheld that promise even when situations looked as if that promise was about to go away. No matter the situation David found himself in, he never doubted the covenant faithfulness of God. You can go to Psalm 136 and you can see just this, this, this on repeat. Just the, the psalm, uh, two psalms before. He says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then you see that for his steadfast love endures forever repeated time and time again. Some repetition is good. We see it even here in Israel's hymn book. David was able to abound with thanksgiving because he had personally experienced the steadfast love of God, the covenant faithfulness of God. He understood that God had made a promise and that God was keeping his word. See, God had shown himself faithful all throughout the ups and downs of Israel. You can go outside of David's life and you can see time and time again whether it was in the promised land or whether it was before the promised land or even after when they were in exile or after they had returned from exile. We can go throughout the the Old Testament and see the covenant faithfulness, the steadfast love of God on display time and time again. We know that God is a faithful God and a God who is characterized by steadfast love. But we know that the greatest demonstration of God's steadfast love was put on full display in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Romans for a second. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we know this verse pretty well. But God shows his love for us. 
and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we see the character of God on display through his work of redemption, a redemption that was promised in the Old Testament and a redemption that was fulfilled in the New Testament in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This same steadfast love that David proclaimed, this same faithfulness that David understood was a steadfast love put on full and perfect display at the cross where Jesus bears the full judgment for our sin and is able to secure us as his own people. Not only do we see the character of God display in his work of redemption, the manifestation of his steadfast love, we see it also in his acts of providence. Simply put here in Psalm 138, your faithfulness. David had experienced the faithfulness of God endless times. Notice, by the way, that this is not, that the faithfulness of God does not mean that God is obligated to always get, out, get us out of difficult situations. David had found himself many times over, whether it was running from Saul or other threats on his life. David was under, under the gun, so to speak, many times in his life and yet was still able to point to the faithfulness of God. Highlighting the fact that God will never leave us nor forsake us. You see, the steadfast love and faithfulness of God means this. It means that God is relentlessly committed to us. And nothing, nothing can separate us from it. So the very first reason that David was thankful was because of God's character, his steadfast love, his faithfulness. David understood that were it not for God being who he was and is, that he would have nothing, no hope, no joy, no peace. But not only do we have the character of God, we we have the word of God. David was thankful for God's word. Notice in verse 2, he says, after he refers to the steadfast love and faithfulness of God, he says, For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Overall, this verse reminds us that God has magnified his name and his promise above all else. You see, David had received God's word, God's promise, and now he saw and experienced God upholding that promise even in some of his darkest days. God is not saying here that his word and his name are on equal standing. David is not acknowledging that. It's not as if The word of God and the name of God are equals. But his point is is that you would not know about the steadfast love and faithfulness of God were it not for the word of God. So so David understood the, the centrality of the word and of the promise, at least up until this point. Obviously, he didn't have 66 books of the Bible. But the revelation that he did have at the moment and the law and the word that he had was that which pointed him to the covenant faithfulness of God. 
And so David's gratitude was spurred by God's self-revelation through his word. He's, again, he's given reasons as to why he's thankful. He says, I'm thankful, verse 1, and verse 2 and so forth. He's explaining why he's thankful. Number one, because of God's character. Number two, because of God's word. And without the word, you don't get to know the character and faithfulness of God. That's why if you're not in the word regularly, you're probably not a very thankful person. But not only do we have the character of God and the word of God, we have the care of God. God's care. Look at verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. Now, this is likely the situation, whatever it was, that prompted David to write this psalm in the first place. And David acknowledged that God heard his prayer. Now, I want you to look at the wording of this. It's very important that you see the wording of what David says here. He says, on the day I called, you answered me. And then he says, my strength of soul, you increased. It does not say that God, on the day I called, you answered me and changed my situation and circumstance. It doesn't say that. It does say David was strengthened. It's a reminder that sometimes God removes problems and burdens in our lives, but at other times he does not. But he always gives us strength to endure it. You see, prayer has as much to do with rightly orienting our perspective as it does reorienting our circumstances. I think many times we, we, we assume that, that answered prayer means we get what we've asked for. David says, God answered my prayer. He, he answered me. I called out and he answered me. And what I received was strength. David doesn't say, all of a sudden, my enemies went away. He doesn't say, all of a sudden, life was good and easy and peaceful. He says, my soul was strengthened. And he was thankful for it. You see, David was in trouble, and he cries out to God, and God gives him strength. Friends, I wonder if these are evident in our own life. When we think about our own thankfulness, or maybe the lack of our own thankfulness, can we trace the source of our gratitude back to these things, the character of God, and the word of God, and the care of God in our life? But not only do we have the reasons for his gratitude, I want you to see the expression of his gratitude. Several important, I think, observations about the thanksgiving David gives that I think we would do all, all do well to take heart. Number one, notice that it's intentional. Verse one, it's pretty straightforward. I will give thanks to you, O Lord. I sing your praise. In many translations, it is translated, I will give you thanks. 
I will sing your praise. What we see here is that, that this response from David's heart was a very intentional act of his will to give thanks to God. Friends, it's just a simple reminder that, that for us to be thankful, we have to choose to be thankful. Thanksgiving doesn't just fall on you. And all of a sudden you wake up just, I'm thankful. It's a choice that we make. It's a decision that you will make or not. And our experiences will often reveal our intention. See, we must choose to be thankful because we are so prone to be an unthankful. Second expression that we see is that his thanksgiving was wholehearted. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. It's from the heart, not merely from the head. This was no mere intellectual awareness that simply observed an action and recognized it was for what it was for, for what it was. His whole being was involved in this gratitude. I mean, you can, you can intellectually, and, and many of us in this room are good at this, right? You know, we're, we're taught to think, and, and, and so we, we analyze things, and so you can intellectually appreciate something. You can say, this was needed, this was supplied, it was a good day. But you still may not be thankful. David was thankful not just with his observation, he was thankful with his entire heart. You see, thanksgiving must come from the heart, and as it does, it will be accompanied by fervent affection for God. What we see here is is this idea that there ought to be intensity and some level of emotion in our thankfulness. Emotion is expressed in a variety of different ways in our lives. But brothers and sisters, there ought to be some level of fervency in our gratitude. Listen, don't be afraid of emotion. I think many of us are afraid of emotion. Don't, don't let emotion or the, 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 what you may think is a threat in your life, don't, don't let the somehow fear of emotion drive you away from experiencing the fullness of the goodness of God and expressing your gratitude to Him. I get it. People express their emotion in a variety of different ways. Some are very external in their expression, and some aren't as external in their expression. And so we should never judge or condemn each other based upon how we seem to be acting at a particular moment, whether it's in worship or just in our lives in general. But listen, emotion is a good thing that God has given us, and when we are engaged in gratitude, it ought to be with our whole heart. Some level of intensity ought to be present in our expressions of thanksgiving to God. I mean, after all, he saved you, and he didn't have to. Don't be afraid of emotion. 
Compare this wholehearted thanksgiving to the half-hearted thanksgiving we often give. I know in my own life I can, I can acknowledge that many times I'm thankful, but it's just half-hearted thankfulness. I might be thankful because of a situation is now made easier or thankful for, for a provision, but, but is my whole heart truly engaged in that? David's thanksgiving was intentional and it was with his whole heart. But notice number three, it was bold. Back to verse one, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. Now this raises an immediate question, who are the gods? He mentions, it's the word Elohim. It can mean God with a capital G or gods with a little g or idols or rulers or angels. And the context usually dictates which, which meaning goes along with the word, most seem to think here that it's a reference to false gods, and I think that that is probably right. Before the world, before the false gods of the day, I declare and sing your praise. David is simply saying that though the false gods and idolatry may abound, I will not be silent. I will give thanks. I will sing praise before the gods. Spurgeon once said, there is a time to be silent, lest we cast pearls before swine, and there is a time to speak openly, lest we be found guilty of cowardly non-confession. Uh, friends, may Redeeming Grace Baptist Church never be guilty of cowardly non-confession. May we be a people, by the grace of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, that is open with our confession and bold with our declaration of thanksgiving before a watching world because we serve the true and living God. Friends, we live in a world filled with all kinds of idol worship, secularism, and this progressivism that's even infiltrating the churches. And we must not be silent. We may not be like King David, but we have ample opportunity to boldly praise God before others. Let's just think about the opportunities that you have, that you had this week, to be bold in your thanksgiving before others. You don't have to wait till next November. You can be bold in your praise and thanksgiving to God when you go home today, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go back to school tomorrow, before your peers, before your coworkers, before your friends, before family. Listen, moms and dads, your children need to see you overflowing with gratitude to God. Your children need to see boldness in your praise of God. They need to see parents who value the character of God, who are informed by the word of God and who appreciate with deep-hearted affection the care and providence and provision of God in your life. Your children need to see that. But not only should our praise be bold, it should be humble. Verse 2, I know that sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. 
He's bold in verse 1. And notice verse 2, I bow down. Now he's in a posture of humility. I bow down before your temple, towards your holy temple, he says, and give thanks to your name for those reasons that we said earlier. You see, David recognizes that to come before God requires a posture of humility. Boldness before others, but humility before God. A true sense of reverence and awe had overcome David, and he bows with humility. He's a king, and he's bowing with humility before the true king, giving him praise. See, our thanksgiving ought to be marked by humility as well. Friends, I just, you know, when we think about what we see here, do you have a heart that overflows with gratitude? Can that be said of you? I know some people, I can say, that person, they're always so stinking thankful. And that's a good thing. Sometimes we get frustrated at people because they just seem to be always grateful and positive. You know why we're frustrated? It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with our own sin and pride. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul encourages us to give thanks always and everything, for everything, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances, always, for everything. That's when you should be thankful. And it should be intentional, it should be wholehearted, it should be bold, and it should be humble. Regardless of your situation, listen, David was at a bad spot in his life. Regardless of your situation, your posture ought to be one of overflowing gratefulness to God. He was all in with his thankfulness. And brothers and sisters, listen, we're in a much better position than he was. He was all in while the The reality was still veiled. He was living what Paul, remember last week where Paul said the mysteries, the things that were kept secret for long ages? David was living during the secret. He was was living during the mystery when it wasn't all clear and how it was all going to shape out and he was still overflowing with gratitude. Paul said last week, Romans 16, that's all been disclosed. There's no more mystery, there's no more secret. It's been fully and perfectly revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we ought to be all the more thankful. We've got the rest of the story, and we see how it all fits together. We're on this side of the cross, therefore, our gratitude ought to outpace David's. So we see a man who's overflowing with gratitude, a heart that overflows with gratitude, but also we see a heart, number two, a heart that longs for the nations. You see that in verses 4 and 5. It says, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. See here, David looks beyond his own personal experience and expression of thanksgiving, and he now looks to the day when gratitude goes global. A few different translations here. The ESV, which I'm preaching from, says all the kings of the earth will give you thanks as if it's a promise. The NIV makes it more of a prayer. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord. 
Either way, you can see that David wants this sense of praise to extend well beyond him to all the kings of the world. And he's confident that it will happen. But how? How do the kings of the world praise God? It's in the text, verse 4. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. Ha! The word of God, opening the eyes, ears, and now the mouth of kings. How do the kings of the earth get to this point where they heard the words of the Lord? They come to know the words and ways of God just like David had. And then they respond in thanksgiving, just like David did. Friends, this is a great reminder that there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And our desire and our prayer and the way that we orient our lives ought to be such that that day where all, for all knees will bow and every tongue will confess that, 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 that many will do that with joyful praise. Many will do that out of necessity because they understand the truth about who God is, but they've never trusted in the gospel. But our prayer and our hope and our delight ought to be that those who give this testimony of praise to God and acknowledgement of God ought to be done with a genuine sense of gratefulness. It seems to be the desire of David there in verse 5, and they shall sing the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Friends, it's a great reminder that we, we ought to be so caught up with the glory of God that it becomes contagious. And that we ought to be so caught up with the glory of God that our prayer, that our, the ways that we pray ought to reflect our desire to see the gratitude that we, hopefully by the grace of God, express that we ought to see that gratitude expand and go global, go to the ends of the earth. So that even the kings of four nations are declaring the praise of God. It's great missional thinking right here in the Old Testament. We know that that begins right here in our own lives, doesn't it? King David was a man who had influence, certainly with other kings, and probably that was what was on his mind as he penned verse 4. All the kings of the earth, he's thinking king influencing other kings. It's a great reminder that we too should seek to work within the influence of those in our own lives. That our thanksgiving to God ought to be influential to those that God puts in our networks and pathways. It's a great reminder for us to, to not grow inward. I think the danger of the many churches in America is to grow inward. And we're about to start talking about a lot of inward kinds of things. We're talking about raising money and building buildings and those kinds of things. But listen, friends, if we do that and we build a nice little building up there on the hill, and we don't have a vision for this Thanksgiving to go global, we don't have a vision to see the nations rejoice and be glad, and we don't have a vision to see our friends and family members and co-workers in our own community understand the beauty of the gospel and to be transformed by it, then that is a waste of time. Friends, we ought to have hearts that long for the joy and the thanksgiving of the nations. 
May the nations be glad, as Psalm 67 says. But not only should we have a heart that overflows with thanksgiving and a heart that sees the nations also be thankful. We should have a heart that trusts the promises of God. See that in verses 6 through 8. See, David's gratitude was driven by a transformed heart. Here we see the heart of a man who not only overflowed with gratitude, but he unwaveringly trusted the providence of God in his life. We see several expressions of this trust right here in verses 6, 7, and 8. Notice, first of all, David is trusting in the Lord because the Lord regards the lowly. He's a God who who regards the lowly. Look at verse 6. For though the Lord is high, he's high and lifted up. For for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. Who's the lowly? Well, we could define that in a number of different ways. Compared to the holy, righteous, sovereign creator of the universe, all of us are lowly. We know that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And the greatest statement of his regard for the lowly was when the Lord Jesus Christ came and he lived and he died for the lowly. He was raised to give us life. Reminded of Psalm 8. Psalmist there says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the sun and the moon, these great and glorious things, he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? When you look at the glory of creation, when you look at the beauty of the glory of God that's on display in our world, Psalmist's like, I see all of these great things. Who am I that you should regard me? Lord, you are high and mighty and glorious and beautiful, majestic and triumphant. You're all of these great things. And I am this lowly creature that spit in your face and broke your commandments and sought my own way. Who am I that you would, that you would be mindful of me, that you would regard me? Again, God becomes flesh and he dwells among us for the purpose of redeeming us. This is a great truth. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. Even those who are unable to deliver themselves from the injustices and oppression of this world. God is aware of our plight and God will provide. The very creator of the universe He sees us, and he sustains us. He regards the lowly. But a second reality is that he preserves the troubled. Look at verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. In this case, David was delivered. David had faced his fair share of trouble, and and yet he knew the Lord would sustain him. It's the same guy that wrote, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
Listen, friends, we all will have trouble in this world. We all can say, verse 7, though I'll walk in the midst of trouble. Some of you are walking through the midst of trouble right now. Some of you are just coming out of the midst of trouble. Some of you are getting ready to go into the midst of trouble. All of us encounter at varying levels and degrees of pain and agony and turmoil. We all experience this, this trouble. Jesus even said, in this world, he uses the word tribulation, but he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. But take heart. For I have overcome the world. Our our troubles are temporary. We will have troubles and we do have enemies. But listen, God is on our side and he will see that we are preserved and kept for himself. Not only is he a God who preserves the trouble, he is a God who fulfills his purposes. Look at verse 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Some say this is the Romans 8.28 of the Psalms. God works all things for good. Or even maybe Philippians 1.6. You hear me quote that often. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul got that from the Old Testament. Paul probably knew Psalm 138 quite well. Where he understood the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me as David wrote those words. This is is wonderful news. I don't know what kind of week or month or year you've had. Some of you I do. But for every person in this room, verse 8 is a wonderful gift of God's grace. Sometimes you may feel as if you're out of place or your stress is too much or you have no sense of purpose. Because those are, those are lies from the evil one. Because God has promised that he will fulfill his purpose for you. You can bank on, there's a lot of things you won't be able to, to bank on in this life, but this is one you can This is God speaking. This is God saying, this is what I will do. How does he do this? He does it according to his steadfast love. Simple question. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe verse 8? Can you with David say with confidence, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me? Friends, it's a question you must answer. And if you expect to find any sense of hope and peace in this world, you need to know the truth that this promise delivers. More importantly, you need to know the God who gives it. Friends, we put a lot of hope and confidence in so much in this life, and it's just a simple reminder to me not to misplace my hope and confidence. The way that often looks is if is my hope and confidence is built upon if things go well, or if this situation works right, or if this happens, or if that happens. 
or if these people are in the right place, or, or if this, you know, we put a lot of hope and confidence in things happening. Friends, this is a simple reminder that we need to put our hope and confidence in God, who will fulfill his purpose for all of us. Don't have a misplaced confidence and hope. You'll notice that David ends this psalm with a plea or a prayer. He says to the Lord, do not forsake the work of your hands. He doesn't say that because he thinks somehow that God may have an off day. Just reminding God, okay, don't don't mess this up, God. As if God could mess it up. David is is, is speaking this this prayer. It's really a, a statement of affirmation. Acknowledging that the very God that he gives praise and thanksgiving to will be the God that will fulfill his purpose. And he will be the God who will not forsake the work of his hands. Do not forsake the work of your hands. How would God do this? How would God regard the lowly? How would he preserve the troubled? How would he ultimately fulfill his purpose for us? Well, he would do it ultimately when he sent the son of David. Remember the son that God promised to David, the the son who would reign forever. His throne would never come to an end. It would be through this son that we would find the fullness of God's provision and therefore be given new hearts that overflow with gratitude and hearts that long for the nations and hearts that cling to the promises of God. Friends, it's only until you have met that son It's only until you have truly embraced the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is and what he has done that you will begin to know this sense of gratefulness, this sense of longing, and this sense of trusting. You see, David was all in regarding his gratefulness and praise to God. David was all in, and he still had a veiled view. Friends, the veil has been lifted, and the mystery has been disclosed. David was all in with a limited view. What about us, who've been given the full story? Are you thankful? Are you longing? And are you trusting? Let's pray. Our Lord, as we think about your work in this man, a man who was said to have a heart after your own, Father, we realize that he was a man that lived life in the troubles and in the struggles that often so accompany us. He lived life with trouble. He lived life with struggle. He lived life with enemies. And yet, Lord, we see a man who was able to overflow with thanksgiving. A man who had a vision that was beyond his own life and his own nation. And a man who trusted in your provision and your promise. Father, my prayer this morning is simple. 
God, would you give us hearts like that? Would you give us hearts that look like that? Not because we want to be like David, but because we want to glorify you. And Father, you know, you know us. You know where we have lacked thanksgiving. You know where we've been selfish and not longing for, for, for things beyond our own. We, you know where we have not trusted your promises. We've trusted something else. And so, Father, would you work in us the very things we need today? And as a result, would you receive all the glory and all the praise? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.